Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Art Mayor podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rodrigo of the podcast, finding a new lease of life after trundling around for the last few weeks. And I'm joined by the Crescencio Somerville of the podcast, Jacob Stanbridge, injecting us with a much-needed burst of pace. And finally, the Joffy Gellhart of the podcast, mainly because of all of the dribbling, it's Tom <laughs> Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, John. Yeah, I've just I've been seeing champions of europe pretty much on repeat even just by myself since about quarter past four yesterday <laughs> i'm having quite a nice time doing it as well yeah good and it sounds like on your trip back from elland road yesterday you were doing plenty of dribbling as well <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to ask the two girls that had the pleasure of sitting next to me all the way back to manchester piccadilly because i think i was snoring <laughs> and um, i don't think they appreciated my little power nap on the way home <laughs> but no dribbles spilled out no not that i'm aware of <laughs> Uh, Jacob, how are you? You've had a, a, a trip to Ellen Road as well, but a little bit, a little bit more of an effort for you to get there than than it is for Tom. So, how was yours? Yeah, it, it was good. Um, I've come up from Birmingham for those who don't know, which, which was nice. Um, although my tra- train journey back was um, interrupted by by some very angry Wolves fans shouting for pretty much the entire journey back, and so I didn't get the chance to have a power nap, which I probably would have quite liked. So maybe I'd class myself right now as feeling less like injecting a burst of media pace as Somerville, but instead more giving an injection of Jean Matinho running around with cramp towards the end of the game. Yeah, but, that's fair. Yeah, all right. How are you, John? Yeah, great. Nice to scrape another draw late in the game, <laughs> uh, which seems to be becoming a bit of a bit of a habit for us, isn't it? And I'm, I'm not sure, but I think we're pretty much on the, the level of draws that we had last season already, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Maybe one fewer. We were months without drawing last year at points, didn't we? Like, I'm pr- pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get into this because there's lots to talk about. And thankfully, it's not the same stuff that we always talked about. Um, there is a little bit more positivity around the place. So let's jump in by just talking about the game itself. So this is the game summary where we just chat through the, the flow of the game. So as everyone will know by now, we picked up a 1-1 draw against Wolves yesterday at Elland Road. In terms of the, the lineup, it was quite interesting, I think. There was a lot of heads turned when, when the lineup graphic came out from Leeds United, not least because they 
have an inability to put anything other than a four-two-three-one lineup out, and everyone gets confused. <laughs> and, and obviously, the whole week, everyone had been thinking, like, what possible lineup are we going to see here? Uh, in the end, we, we knew it was going to be a four-four-two, but in the end, it was a four-four-two with Pascal Strauch at centre midfield, which I think surprised most people. I don't think many people had expected that. And, and then the other surprise was Dan James at, at centre forward, uh, despite the fact that everyone thinking that Rafinha was going to be playing as a ten because of, again of the Leeds United lineup graphic. But uh, beyond that. It was largely as expected. We had Dallas at left back, Shackleton at right back, and Rafinha started on the right and Harrison on the left. The first half was fairly uneventful. Uh, Wolves obviously got their goal in the 10th minute through a fairly shambolic piece of defending all round. Uh, and for the rest of the half, I think although Leeds did control the ball, they didn't really translate it into much in the way of good chances. Um, in the second half, Roberts came on for Harrison and Dan James was pushed out wide. And then when Rafinha got injured about 10 minutes into the half... Somerville came on to replace him uh, and then soon after Joe Gelhart came on to replace Click and Roberts dropped back into midfield and I think there's a few comments being made recently about how Roberts is just having to fill in every, everywhere where he's needed at the moment. He's becoming a bit of a, a forward Stuart Dallas in that sense. <laughs> um, again, Lee's controlled the ball in the second half and as the half wore on, Wolves dropped deeper and deeper. Um, Lee still didn't create a raft of good chances, but Gelhart looked much more lively and he had a couple of chances from just dribbling into the box. A good chance from some nice build-up as well uh, with a, a nice bit of interchange with Rodrigo. And with the game heading to a close, Gelhart dribbled through the Wolves' defence and won a penalty, which Rodrigo converted. The draw is probably fair in the end, but there's still some concerns about our capacity to create dangerous chances, especially given the fact that Wolves barely put us under any sustained pressure at any point in the game. But yeah, as we've said, nice to get a, a late draw um, and to have results go fairly well for us, with the exception of Watford somehow pulling out a 5-2 win over, over Everton, <laughs> which, will, which will forever blow my mind. But right, that, let's move on to the interrogation. So this is the part of the show where I put five questions to the guys about the game uh, itself and we'll see where we go from there. So let's start with a nice, easy question. After the horror show of last weekend, what changed this weekend, Tom? Basically, Wolves gave us all the time and space in the world uh, to build a part of our own half, which just meant that it made our build-up, which last week looked, well, it was terrible last week, it it made it. It was fine, so we didn't really have any problems doing that. It, it, the interesting thing for me would have been: would they have still done that if it had been nil-nil um, for the well, for the, was for the whole game basically, rather than just sitting off and just trying and uh, block deep? Are you sounding the game state klaxon? Is that what you're doing, Tom? I'm doing it without saying it, just so people. <laughs> <laughs> I have got game state written down on my notes, though. Maybe I should have said it. <laughs> you have that written down on your notes every week, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. Well, I just I have the same notes. I just put game state and just put we can't build up in wide areas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like yeah, Southampton's press um, completely killed us in our build up. So the fact that the Wolves set off meant that we could get the ball into their half and just meant that we could actually sort of sustain some sort of pressure in their half, even if it wasn't particularly. Like we didn't really create any threat. It was more like threatening without creating any chances in the end. But the fact that we were there made it better than last week. I'd add to that that our structure probably plays a role in that as well. It's not that we've been like. It's not like there's been an incredible sort of contrast when the season between when we've played the back three and not played a back three. But it is better when we when we play with the, with the four one four one or in this case the four four two and. Similarly, on a, on a kind of structural point, I'd also throw in not having Rodrigo 
as the most forward player. Um, when we play a front two, like we saw yesterday and we saw with the Newcastle game, Rodrigo's sort of movement from that line to wherever he kind of wants to go feels like more of the game plan instead of something that maybe neuters what Leeds are trying to do. And so I think that that probably helped as well. The fact that we still had somebody quote-unquote occupying the defenders, although I'm not sure how effective Dan James necessarily was doing that. Um, it meant that Rodrigo had a bit more freedom to do what he does best. Yeah, I think I, I I largely agree with that. And I think that's mainly to do with the fact that you end up with an extra player in midfield. And, and I think as well, often when you're playing in the 4-4-2, we are playing against teams who tend to not want to keep the ball at the back or play it out from the back, um, which means that your forward press doesn't really matter that much anyway. Um, so I think a combination of all of those things means that we end up with a, an extra player in midfield. And rather than what it looks like usually when we have a three-man midfield with a deeper player who ends up playing as a pivot, we play with a flat two, someone in front of them, and then one of the flat two drops in as a pivot in, in the build-up as well, which I think all adds to that. Um, so question two, Jacob, Leeds seem to control the game a little bit better in the second half. Why do you think this was? For me, I think the biggest part of that was where sort of possession was happening on the pitch. It felt like we were occupying a considerably higher sort of base level on the pitch. Our, our centre-halves felt that there were quite a lot of times in the in the second half where Cooper and Llorente were possessing the ball around the halfway line just in towards his half. And if you compare where Raul Jimenez is doing his sort of defensive pressure on on the centre-halves, it is really distinct between the two, um, two halves of the game. In the first half, I was starting to observe him coming into defensive action maybe about halfway into uh, up from in our half like towards the the center circle and things like that but it was considerably deeper in the second half and so i think that that it wolves inevitably just get pushed back a lot more and not always but quite often then when the ball gets cleared after not necessarily a really good chance must but uh, like tom was saying us getting into a threatening space it's perhaps more likely that one of our centre-halves or Pascal or something is going to retrieve the ball. There were occasional Wolves counters, but I think that generally we'd get get it back and be able to do something again. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The fact that we were winning the ball up higher meant that we could just sustain the pressure on them and just meant that they were more inclined to sit deeper and deeper. Um, the, one, the one thing I would add maybe that I'm... Not sure if this is right or not, but I kind of felt we were actually better when Roberts was playing um, in a more midfield role compared to Click. I, d- I didn't think Click was particularly good yesterday. I thought um, he was sort of poor moving the ball forward and he kind of mis- misplaced a lot of passes I feel like that were probably quite straightforward to do. And I think Roberts, like as much as it'll, p- people will always like find criticism of Roberts, I just think he's better like offering for the pass and moving the ball forward and I just think that helped us sustain the pressure a bit more. Yeah, I, do, I definitely agree that, that Wolves just seem to drop deeper and deeper through the game. Um, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of people making very positive comments about Stuart Dallas in the second half um, and I think we should maybe talk about that because it, the way that it felt to me on the rewatch was that, you know, Dallas, because he was playing at, at fullback, he was able to just push forward into fair, a fair amount of open space in the second half, uh, which which sort of gives him a little bit more momentum, a little bit more impetus. Uh, he bundled through a few challenges and, and got the ball into advanced areas as well. I wondered how much you two thought that that, that sort of Wolves 
slight circumspection in terms of um, their positioning actually added to that, whether or not that was something that, that was more to do with him. I would agree with that. The fact that they he had space to move into made him probably look better than he actually was, even though it is like a useful thing to have someone to move the ball forward from that left-back spot. And it's something that we why he looked good at left-back in the Championship, perhaps, and hasn't really looked good at left-back in the Premier League last year, because he would just put under, whenever he was put under pressure and in playing in either full-back position, to be fair, he just hasn't looked looked that good, really. I do broadly agree with that. Um, I, I think, um, obviously, there, there's been a lot of talk from around the, the players, the coaching staff, the media, around the uh, like the galvanising role of the fans um, as, as the second half wore on. And I, th- I think that Dallas, the, the, the bits of what Dallas did that people have picked out, I think, coincided with that quite well. And so I think that you can probably talk about... The, some kind of positive psychological uh, aspects of the game, but I, I do broadly agree with, with, with what you're saying. And um, we weren't seeing it prior in in the game when Wolves were were at that little bit higher up the pitch. And I don't think that those two things are coincidental. So, question three: What difference do you think not having Rafinha on the pitch made? Because I do think that 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 was a, a sort of point at which yeah, things things sort of changed a, a little bit as well. So, um, we'll go with you first on this, Jacob. Um, what did you make of that change from Rafinha to, I guess, Somerville? I guess um, the biggest thing for me is it stopped us being over-reliant on one player. Not ob- obviously, I would rather have Rafinha on the pitch, but look, there's been some talk recently just um, about, about Aston Villa and people talking about the loss of Jack Grealish and how, it, how it's been um, replacing with those other players and the sort of comparison of having one person who you run all your play through. And... Just seeing quite how much Rafinha was like coming very deep um, at points. He, he was in the left back zone at one point, even though he was playing right wing. I, I guess that it maybe forced the team to have to think we need to run combination play a little bit more, and, and we can't just give it to Rafinha and he does something spectacular. Uh, and it, it's interesting because obviously that didn't that didn't result in a, in a great showing from us in an attacking sense in the Southampton game. But I don't know, maybe it's part of the psychology of Rafinha starting and then going off. But like, ah, what are we going to do now um, coming into it? And yeah, f- force the team to combine combine better. And I, I think that Somerville particularly, without setting the game on fire, like did good runs and benefited from nice passing work with Roberts and, and Shackleton on that side. Yeah, it definitely felt as though we got into those wide areas that I love to talk about when we had Somerville on the field. And I, I noticed that like the only time really that we saw Dan James do the same, obviously in the second half, because in the first half he was playing centrally, but it was about the 84th minute. Um, he got like a ball across the box, which had to be cleared out by a centre-back. And that was the first time we'd seen it really happen from that side. And those are the sorts of chances that we were seeing Leeds create quite regularly um, last season. And so I, I agree with you in, in the sense that it does feel as though when you don't have Rafinha on the field, you sort of have to think, right, well, we're doing the system stuff now um, because we're not just going to be able to create um, um, through him. Um, Tom Alderson, what's your, what's your take on the Rafinha not being on the pitch? One thing that kind of helped us sort of build up in those wide areas and do their combination play like you two have mentioned is that Somerville stayed wider as well and just basically played as a proper proper right winger um, old more of an old-fashioned style winger rather than Rafidi who's like more inclined to cut inside and it, the Rafidi not there as well I think you kind of touched on this with Dan James is that it sort of brings more balance to your play that if we're not you're not just looking for one player Wolves kind of have to are 
stretched to an extent by the having to defend both wings. And even though it didn't really lead to us being any more more or more or less threatening with Rafinha um, not on the pitch, I would f- feel because it you obviously get those individual moments from Rafinha where he will just do something, and that game did in the end just needed individual moment to happen. So that's and that's like it was good that you had Geld out to do that because otherwise I think if he hadn't come on and Rafinha hadn't been there, I think we'd this conversation would probably be a little bit different and probably a little bit more negative than it currently is. I think I should stress at this point as well, this is not us making the argument that we're better without Rafinha on the pitch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and also that we're not trying to say that there's like a distinction between Rafinha and the system because obviously we had Rafinha in the system last season and the system clicked, to use the, the wave sand magic word that people um, like to use at the moment. And and so it, I don't think it's quite so simple to just be like Rafinha on, therefore no system, Rafinha off, therefore system. Uh, as you mentioned, like in the end, it, it took a moment to, to get the point in this game. Um, so, But I do think it's worth at least talking about that um, at this point because it's something that we have we have talked about a little bit um, as, as we go forward. And I suppose that if, if there is a possibility that Rafinha may not be playing in the next couple of games because of the injury that he picked up, which we don't know about at this point, the noises have been fairly positive. Um, I think he put out some kind of social media post suggesting that it's it's everything's fine. Um, but I think it's, it's, it is good to, to recognise that, you know, there are positives as well, that, that not having him on the field can 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 actually allow us to, to play in that system heavy way a little bit more as well. Um, we've already mentioned the two youngsters. Um, I've got a little bit of an Aggie question here, just saying how much of an indictment is it that when youngsters Somerville and Gelhart came on, they looked more dangerous than the fairly expensive talent we had on the pitch at that point. Tom Alderson, what do you make of that? I think the thing with uh, Somerville and Gelhart, they they um, they were sort of more so with Gelhart because I, I think my kind of take on Somerville was that he was a bit tentative, and I know it, there were some good things about him um, staying out wide, but I just wanted him to go at players a little bit more than he did, and I think. Gelhart really did that, as we saw for the goal. Um, and the fact that uh, Gelhart did that meant that it was sort of what we needed it at that moment because I think that was the only way we were going to break down Wolves' Wolves's defense. Because Dan James and Rodrigo, like they're, they're kind of their own. I think they're they're really only threatening when they've got space to move into. And if the Wolves' defense is so deep, then they just they struggle to sort of. Rodrigo was was. I would say good yesterday, but I don't think Dan James really brought anything, especially as the game moved on. I would, I would say, uh, but yeah, like I said, Geldart was like really good, and he did. Whilst he was, he didn't completely lead the line in like a Patrick Bamford kind of way. He because he did drop drop deeper. It kind of gave us a little bit more of a um, a focal point, and then obviously he did that individual moment for the goal, which was um, which was very good. A couple of questions here. I suppose with the the one thing. To, to cover Somerville and I'll come to you on this Jacob but um, I think it's it's hard not to judge Somerville against the level of players that are playing because we are so thin on the ground that you almost want these players to come in hitting the ground running um, and I think the way that I'm thinking about Somerville is that I'm comparing him to Jan Paveda and I'm already more happy with him than I've ever been with Paveda so I think that's maybe a, a good starting point on, on Somerville. I didn't think Somerville was amazing yesterday and I think that it's hard to sort of judge the players who came on in that game because because there there was that whole there's the whole emotional side to it as well which is obviously great don't get me wrong but it's hard to it's hard to to sort of read that game as anything other than we were playing sort of fairly 
ambulatory football and then we brought on two youngsters and then they ended up like getting a point out of the game for us which is which is how it went and and is good but I think it's good to to not get carried away and I think um with Somerville that's the way I've been thinking of him just sort of focusing on how do I compare him to other players that we've had in those sorts of situations before so Jacob what do you make of Somerville on that basis I think I think along similar lines to what what you say and try and think about him in terms of the place that he the, the, the function he fills within the squad like he is a fourth choice winger and and from that you like, the, a word that we sort of used when talking about both of them particularly over the summer was like wild card and um at, at points you'll certainly get something a bit like that from Somerville I do agree that with, with what Tom was saying about him not necessarily always being as let me rephrase that I agree with Tom that when he said that sometimes he was a bit tentative, but I was also very encouraged in the moments where he did that very Somerville thing. If you watch him in the twenty threes and get round the outside of the of the of the wide defender and then attack the um, attack the byline almost, and that felt like more than Dan James offered in the entire game. Just to just really to go back to the initial question you asked about it, sort of being an indictment of the expensive talent we have on the pitch. It does feel like sometimes, no, not even sometimes, all the time really, the team gets picked almost on hierarchy as opposed to tactical fit. I think Click ideally probably wouldn't have played that game in that position um, today. I don't think he's necessarily the right player for that kind of role, but we didn't have anyone to, to play there. And then the wingers, we, we spent a lot of money on, on wide players this summer and we know from all the seasons gone by that wingers are such an important part of our game from a creative point. And it's, it's very disappointing that we do need to see someone like Somerville come on and even just look exciting in a few moments for us to be saying, oh, that was a good performance when you've got like £36 million worth of wingers who didn't really offer a lot today. Uh, and then one final thing on, on Gellhart. Um, obviously, plenty of positivity about him, but I noticed that this is a game where, as we've talked about with Rodrigo, the structure accommodates him. Um, and as you, I think you mentioned, he, he's not playing as a sort of Bamford replacement. He's playing as a player, I think maybe Tom said, that he's playing as a player who likes to drop in and, and help out. And when, when you have two players like Rodrigo and, and, and Gellhart uh, playing up front, I suppose that could potentially be an issue and, and we could end up with the same sort of conversations in the future I think about if you've got Bamford available and Gellhart available and you're playing in a single striker system you go for Bamford every time right and 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 so do we have the same situation here where essentially you want to play Gellhart as a second striker and we we barely ever play teams that allow us to accommodate that I do worry about that to some extent um I, I don't know that Gellhart is maybe as guilty of not being able to do some of the Bamford stuff as Rodrigo, but I, I, I do I do share that opinion. I remember an interview that he did towards the end of last season where he was talking about interactions he'd had directly with Bielsa, and Bielsa had said, you've got to be doing more of the in-behind running and you've got to be uh, and more of that kind of stuff that we, Bamford is so good at. And I do think we see that a bit more from him in the 23s, although I've not caught the 23s as much this season as last season. Um, but but at the same time, as you say, it's 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 going to fall back into that same kind of thing, and I, it could become the case that Gellhart, at least for Bielsa's leads, becomes what I think Rodrigo is, uh, which is best used as off the bench, 
um, best used to change the game as opposed to starting, which I don't think a lot of fans are necessarily going to want to hear. But I think because he's something different, he can transform us in the moments where something's not working. But that's not the same thing as being the right player to start a game. The only thing I would add at the end is that I think because of Gelhart's age, you can teach him to do those Bamfordy things. Whereas, as we've seen with Rodrigo, you, it's difficult to teach him how to do the press. And he's never Bam, Rodrigo's never going to be like a Bamford style player. But you could see Gelhart moving towards being able to do those things, even if it's not his um, style of style of play. Yeah, uh, which I, I think I nominally agree with, but I think that there's the stuff that we get from Bamford from him being like two foot taller than Gelhart, right? Which I, I suppose is like is is kind of the issue. Like, like you're not expecting Gelhart to come on and be a hold up striker who's going to bring other players into into the game, etc. He's not going to be a player who's going to be be a poacher in the box in the same way Bamford is as well. Um, and as we saw yesterday, like the the good moments that we had from him really were for him for, came from him dropping deep and then picking the ball up and, and running at defenders, um, which always I guess presupposes that we would want to have a, a more striker, t- traditional striker in front of him, I suppose. But uh, this is this is a problem that will no doubt concern us for many podcasts to come because I'm sure we'll have them for many seasons to come um, so let's move on to the final question in this section which is uh, this what do you take away from a game like that going forward from this point so Tom what do you what do you take away from this sort of game the one thing that I can say you take away from this game is like you hope it just gives confidence to the players because I don't think that the system was any better than it has been the rest of the season so it's difficult to say that we improved a lot um, and that the, the only thing that might be the cost of the result and the way that we got it that it might just spur them on and we might just see an improvement through that more than anything else the other thing I sort of want to add although it's an easy thing to sort of talk about when you talk about Leeds at the moment is that the injury situation makes it sort of strange for me to for, read, read too much into the read too much out of this game because there there will be we hope soon a game where Patrick Bamford is back leading the line and there will be a game where Calvin Phillips is back in the midfield not that that was an issue at all today um, and and things like that Rafinha when he's not injured will be back ailing I could go on and so some of the things that we're talking about will change just on the fact that different players we're playing and the system will look different and hopefully better um, with with the different personnel um, so yeah I'm not, I'm not sure how much we can read into it beyond like what Tom said about the sort of psychological factor of getting the result in the manner we did yeah for sure I think for me I find these sorts of games kind of difficult to come to terms with because for me I don't think I've ever really been that worried about the possibility of relegation I think the fan base are probably taking quite a lot from that game because after the shambles at, at Southampton we, we sort of looked like a football team again which is which is nice to see and uh, and I think you know when you when it comes to looking at that there's I think there's a, 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 a sort of litany of teams from like 12th down um, starting from Aston Villa who we look look on similar points to us and Wolves are in that group or above that group actually I think uh, and and just the ability to know that you can come up against a team like Wolves and they will treat you with respect and, and, and allow you to to sort of largely dominate the ball in the game um, I think that's sort of fairly comforting as well um, so I, I guess taking I take stuff away from that game that I already had to take away from it but it's just nice to see that it's confirmed that I wasn't completely wide of the mark or something like that. So anyway, I'm rambling at this point. So let's move on to the next section, which is bring a topic. So this is the bring a topic section where each of the two 
guests. Guests? Are you guests? I guess you're not guests. Co-hosts? We'll call you co-hosts. The two co-hosts bring bring a topic to the conversation. So let's start with Jacob on this one. What do you what do you want to talk about? We don't have um, a positive section today because we didn't lose, <laughs> which is a big positive in itself. Um, but in light of that, I wanted to touch on, on Liam Cooper's performance. Um, and now by mentioning the positive section, as I have, I'm sure that how I think he did is pretty apparent, but I wondered what you both made of his display. Um, I think generally he's having a good season so far. I completely agree. I think he was very good yesterday and has probably been our best player so far this season, I would say. Um, I think I did worry when the lineups came out that um, about Stuart Dallas against Traore. And I think that Cooper did a lot to sort of, sort of ease those problems that I thought Dallas was going to have. I don't think there was... There was maybe one time that sort of da- Dallas got beat by Traore and Cooper wasn't there to sweep him up. And because apart from that, Cooper just basically shut or helped to shut Traore out of the game. Um, the the only thing that I would say about Cooper yesterday is that I do think that the goal was partly his fault. Uh, like I think he probably should have won the, the the header for the ball that came in. But then he should have said it's probably the same about Harrison probably not getting beaten by Samada. But yeah, apart, apart from that one moment, I thought Cooper was very, very good yesterday. There's definitely a lot that had to happen in between him missing that header and the ball going in that, that could be attributed elsewhere in terms of blame. But yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I mean, look, I've I've always been fairly positive about Liam Cooper. And by fairly positive, I mean I'm pretty positive about him. <laughs> but but yeah, look, it's it's been great actually watching him this season. Um, not least because we thought this might be the season where Pascal Strauch um, sort of displaces him. Um and that's not to say that I don't think that Pascal Strauch is, is a better player, but the way that Liam Cooper's playing at the moment, there's just no concerns with him. And I think, you know, you keep him in the in the side because he is the, the captain and he's playing the way that he does. But as I've talked about with Cooper, a lot of what he does is volume uh, specific. So a lot of people like to focus on people who do sort of notable outlier things. But with Liam Cooper, what he does is he, he does all of the, the little things fairly well. Um He's a good front foot defender. He's he's good distributing the ball. Um, he's he's um, good, as you've said, um, Tom, playing that sort of free role where, as you've said, whenever Dallas got turned by Troy Oroy, Cooper was there already aware of where the ball was going to be. And I think he's improved at that side of the game as well as as, as his time with, with Bielsa has, has gone on. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really like Cooper in, 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 in every way. And it just... I don't know. There's so many things about Leeds fandom that that sort of seems to make its mind up about players, and and then that's the way that those players will be. Um, see, also, I guess Tyler Roberts, for for example. Um, but I think with with Liam Cooper, like I just can't really remember the last time he made like huge errors that we used to see fairly regularly on the in the Championship. Um, I, I th- we we all know that his big weakness, I think, is backwards defending with the ball over his head. Um, sometimes he looks a little bit calamitous in those situations, but beyond that, I just don't really think that there's much that he does that wrong. But um, Jacob, I'll, I'll give you the final the final say in this homily um, where we're being fairly positive about Cooper. There was a, there was a moment, and it, it by no means is it an isolated moment in this game, but one that you've seen in other games as well. But there's a moment that I really remember from from being in the stand where I, I, he won the ball. I think it was one of the challenges of Traore get, uh, get straight up and is then dri- driving us forward to the extent that he ever does with the ball, which is not that far, but he, he moved us forward, delivered the ball forward and we were back off on the attack again. And, and 
I think that kind of thing is just—it's just very valuable for the team when sometimes we are struggling to construct attacks in in, in a more effective way uh, as, as we are used to, and having having. Uh, and this is, this this strays quite some way really from the the tactics and analytics podcast that, that we are, but just having someone like that uh, sort of as the leader, I think, is really nice to know that there's someone who who will back you up and and spur you on through their play. And this season, as John says, he's he has been really really great to watch and really really um yeah just dependable, which is which is which makes it so hard then for Pascal to have any opportunity to to stake a claim to that spot because uh, me as uh, like many Leeds fans probably say that Pascal is the better option at left back at left centre back but when Cooper's playing like this and uh, how, how could you drop him yeah one of the things I do in my day job for analytics FC is that that I get to access our transfer lab uh, platform which is basically a scouting platform which attempts to sort of interpret the data a little bit more deeply than than just the raw data itself um, and every every time I go on and look at each season at the lead centre backs Liam Cooper always comes out the strongest which I think would surprise a lot of people but like I've said so much of what he does is just like he does just high volume good stuff and the problem is is that people don't really think about high volume good stuff they think about like low volume bad stuff um, or like outlier stuff so um, yeah you, you know the, the things that the on ball stuff that just really stand out or things that you're just like why on earth has he done this he's the worst player ever um, and the thing with Cooper is he just does so much of that as you said intercepting winning the ball moving the ball on um, distributing the ball forward so he just he, he will often be the, the guy with the highest volume progressive passes uh, out of the centre backs which surprises people I think because they would expect Llorente to do that um, for example but it's just a volume thing he just picks the ball moves it up moves it on and um, I think that makes makes a big difference um, so yeah that yeah I can see why players why, why fans get frustrated with with Cooper at times but I think that you've got to you've just got to accept that the occasional clangor is more than made up for by the the general good quality of what he does that's like how um whenever some goalkeeper makes a mistake playing out from the back um, it's always the same kind of discourse isn't it like, why is he doing that and never do you talk about the 98 times out of 100 that, that it's absolutely fine Tom what did you want to talk about I just felt we needed to talk about Dan James up front um, <laughs> it's mo- not mostly been positive today but I just felt like why the first question was why of the three wingers was he chosen because I think he would have been my last choice personally um, and I just wanted to, like, um, do you agree that he was pretty ineffective? Like, I don't remember him doing anything. I mean, well, I'd probably say in the first half, because obviously he moved out wide in the second half. So um, do you agree that he was ineffective in that role? Because I, I think it's difficult to say about his out-of-possession stuff, because after the 10th minute, then there wasn't really much out-of-possession stuff to do as a pressing forward. And I, that was the kind of the only reason I could think of why Bielsa had gone for him there. And I think because of the fact that the uh, Wolves went ahead and then just sat back. We didn't kind of get the advantage of having Dan James pressing in that role. Yeah, he only had seven touches, I think, in the first half, which, I don't know, touches are touches, aren't they? Let's move over to you for this one, Jacob. What did you make of Dan James up front? I met up with Darren from this podcast um, directly before the game, and, and we, we were talking about this and trying to work out who it was going to be, and I almost flippantly said, oh, it will be Dan James up front. It was the last thing I was expecting, and then, of course, it happened. Um I don't think it was ever going to be Rafinha 
up front. I think it, he always is likely to be out on the right, except for occasionally when tactically it makes better sense to use him on the left. But I, I really, I was expecting it to be Harrison just based on the fact that we've seen it a few times before. Um, logically, my suspicion as to why it was, was to make sure that we had at least one winger who was operating on their stronger foot uh, naturally. And having Harrison on the left meant that, that that was possible. And then I guess the extension of that logic is that James's um, pace could be used to sort of replicate some of what Bamford does like by running in behind. But um, I, I agree that he really was ineffective in that role. I can only really remember two things he did, which was one running behind at the very beginning of the half where he was offside. And then a combination with click out wide where we lost the ball, it went out for a throw in. And apart from that, it's just he wasn't able to get involved in the game at all. Sometimes that will happen with Bamford and, and it, it, he'll feel sort of like quite cut out from the game. But at least with Bamford, like we were sort of hinting at a bit earlier when talking about Gellhart, Bamford's got the hold up play and there's that side of Bamford's game. And you're, you're never going to read Dan James with, with long long passes like that. Um, to his directly to him against Cody, Sice, and Kilman. So yeah, it, it just didn't work for me at all. In, given that it, we never played it over their line to try and have them run onto it, they didn't really give us much space for that to happen, as as you said, Tom. And uh, yeah, they didn't really offer anything else. Yeah, it's funny because I was expecting him to play up front, partly because he sort of feels like a striker to me anyway. Just the, the stuff that he does. In terms of, like, we talk about his lack of guile or whatever. Uh, I think he's quite one-dimensional out, on, out on, the, on the left. And he tends to have like, uh, he tends to have like a four-part mantra when he's playing, which is one, try, go quick, down the line. If that doesn't work, pull it back onto your stronger foot and try and get the cross in. If that doesn't work, play it back. Um, and then the fourth point, I guess, is just repeat. Um, I think he must be like a, a, it must be a defender's dream. And we th- I think we saw when, when Hoover came on uh, in the second half, he just, allowed him to run, closed him off and, and forced him out wide. And I, I think that that's the big worry for me with him is that, okay, we can talk all we want about Dan James playing in the system and learning the system, but um, he just doesn't have the sort of guile that you want in a 1v1 situation that you get from, as we've already mentioned, players like Somerville, but obviously Rafinha and even Harrison. Um, Harrison is the sort of player who will go around players and cause some problems. Uh, and I don't see Dick James doing that through anything other than sheer pace, which means that when you're playing against a team like Wolves who are sitting a little bit deeper and or playing potentially deep wing backs, you just lose a lot of his a lot of his edge really. So I wasn't really that surprised when he played up front. I, I think I tweeted this um, at some point yesterday when the team sheet came out. Uh, but again, it's like we we talk about this all the time. Like that you can put all of the great players that you want in in a forward lineup in 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 this lead system but you do need to have someone i think leading the line and i i mean i, I suppose the, the the great example the counter example there is is um manchester city who just refused to play um any sort of traditional sort of striker um but they can get away with it because they've got like in- incredible talents in every position and you know they will eventually just form some kind of breakthrough into the into the opposition box but i think for us we we just need someone like bamford who is going to just pin their center backs back um do the work that you need to do pressing wise move the players around to create space for other teammates um and and always be in that space in in the box when when you need to be as well did you want to say anything more on this tom nothing more about his performance really the only thing i would say is that i i was expecting harrison to play up front 
just because I think he's kind of done that role before. And if it's the pressing stuff, then I think Harrison's as good or or better than um, James at doing that. And I just think that Bielsa sees Dan James as the first choice with the left wing. So I thought I just assumed he would play there. Um, one, I know you said about Rafinha not playing up front, but I think it it would have been quite nice to sort of see if that had worked a bit because the thing that we've mentioned quite a lot is that we, we want Rafinha sort of getting on the ball in deeper positions rather than in the coming deep and collecting the ball. And I think it would have been a nice opportunity to sort of try that out and see if we could have get him in, him in more threatening positions further up the pitch. Well, we will see how this all unfolds as the season goes on, no doubt, because we will be, in fact, we will be playing two strikers next week i think so we'll we'll soon find out what the plan is with that uh, but let's move on to listener questions ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So this is the part of the show where we answer the listeners' questions, uh, surprisingly enough. So let's just jump straight in. Tom, what was more important, the performance or the result? That comes from James. As in what is more important generally? or the f- I, that's, I would say the performance wasn't outstanding yesterday. So obviously the result is more important yesterday because we got a point in a game where, well, I don't think either team looked particularly good, to be honest, but I, st- I, don't, I still don't think we did much apart from possess the ball for long periods of time. In a more sort of general sense, I think like, like I said earlier, get, getting a result yesterday should hopefully sort of bring some confidence to the players because in t- the performance just wasn't there, and I would I am kind of worried a lot about the fact that the the, the system just doesn't does seem to be much of a thing anymore, apart from the t- the few times yesterday when after Ravinia went off and we sort of seemed to be moving back towards doing those more system based things. I completely agree with what Tom says. The one thing I sort of throw in with that is, I guess maybe a bit of performance um, base would be Galhart's performance but I think that that will that the predominant thing that that will have is a similar kind of like psychological lift to, to the mood that Tom was talking about in terms of the result so I, I think functionally it, it will yeah do, do something similar even though it is a performance thing rather than the, a role it's not a role um, than a result thing question two. Jacob will come to you on this as a Strauch stan, uh, like <laughs> myself. But Claudio Aravena says, Strauch looked a lot more fluid with both his positioning and passing. So the, do the underlying numbers back up his performance today? Now, we have a few questions about under, uh, the, the underlying numbers, but the FB ref data hasn't been updated yet. So uh, unfortunately, we can't 
answer with respect to the underlying numbers. But I think it would be good for us to talk about Strauch uh, playing in the in the DM position, not least because I have I'm on record for saying that the gap between Strauch and and Phillips at DM, or at least in the pivot, is not as big as people think it is. So was my was my um, unfounded faith in him well rewarded today or yesterday, Jacob? Yeah, I I think so. I think he was re- really strong throughout. Um, I share the opinion that I cut, that I've heard from other people that there were maybe one or two sort of more wobbly moments in the first half, but particularly in the second half, he was he was really really effective and did loads of the stuff that you would you would expect to have seen from Calvin Phillips in the same circumstance. Uh, I think you posted on your on your timeline as well last night, John, about um, him being maybe about him offering something slightly different to Calvin when he's in that role in terms of his sort of mid-range passing. And that was something that I really picked out in the game, particularly in the, in the second half where the sort of those like forward passes just on the ground is not something that I really associate with Calvin in that role, but you did see a few times with Strauch. And I thought that generally that he like helped, helped us sort of move forward with his passing. I thought generally it was, more positive than it has sometimes been in that role, which was really encouraging. I'll be interested to see the proportion of his passing in terms of um, how much progressive yardage he generated versus his total yardage of passing, which, if I remember from last season, that was one place where there was a distinction between him and Calvin in that role, statistically. So I'll be interested to see how how that compared. And... um, I think he showed for the ball well. I think he generally passed it well and showed a nice range of passing, to use a term that often gets uh, talked about in terms of Calvin, um, spraying it out to both wings. There was a really nice clip ball out to the right wing in, in the first half. I can't remember. I think it was to Shackleton. I can't remember exactly when in, in the half that, that he did. And as well, another thing that was encouraging, I think at some points... When we've seen that passing from him before, sometimes it the passes have been a bit slower, but I thought that at points there was a bit better pace on those passes as well, which was really good. Um, the, the one caveat I will throw in is that the game suited him there. Um, he didn't have to like be running all over the pitch after Bruno Fernandes or, or someone, um, as Calvin has sometimes relished in the past. And... And also there was space for him to, to make those passes. I think that last season, his two best showings in, in the role were the two games against Aston Villa, even though he got subbed early in both of them. Um, and in that respect, I don't think the game was too dissimilar, but I think it was a really encouraging performance. And I was going to say long may it continue, but obviously <laughs> we want Calvin back in the team. But um, long may it continue, should he be playing there? Yeah, Jacob just pretty much ticked off every single bullet point that I've got <laughs> written down. Um, th- the thing I'll say is that I I actually think that Strauch played that better than I think Phillips would have done yesterday in that game. I think he did all the pivoty stuff that you you expect from that player in that role. Um, I think he he did like man mark well. Um, even when he was like having to track a player quite deep into the into Wolves' half, he pressured the goalkeeper at one point. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. I was, was at one point where I was like, "He's where? What's he doing there?" But he's like, if he was doing the the right thing, so I, I can't can't really complain. And like you said about the passing, he just made good decisions on the ball. Like when when to sort of retain possession, when to sort of speed it up the the balls he went for. And I think he's like you said, I think he just offers that 
a little bit better than Phillips does, but it's not it's not like a key feature of that role. So it's not a, and I would never say oh play Strout for his passing over Phillips in that role. Like that's just um you would just I would just never say that. And um, I think it is easier to look good in the um with that sort of passing with that space and time on the ball that Wolves gave him because like the times when he's people have been calling for Strauch not to play in that position are like Arsenal away last year where he was just absolutely harassed in the middle of the pitch but that that isn't something that Phillips is adverse to either like this the man the Man City game uh, at Ellen Road last year for example that Phillips was pressured and was basically didn't have any role sort of in possession because of that so it's not I don't think it's just a a Strauch thing that he struggles in those games like it's just that position struggles in those games if people target him so but yeah like, like, like Strauch I would have no worries about playing Strauch in that role and would agree with you John that I don't think the drop off from Phillips to Strauch is really much at all to be honest If I just may add one last thing on that um, just to completely agree with the thing you said there Tom about the role um, it being impacted when there is that high pressure and we see that uh, whoever's playing there you mentioned Phillips um, obviously from that Man City game but then there's also like Clip last week um, he, he wasn't really involved at all and um, as well certain games where we've seen Robin Koch there um, the team hasn't functioned perfectly um, when the, that pressure has been there as well so it's um, uh, yeah I don't think that's a Stroud thing I think it's, it's like you say it's a role thing yeah, I mean, I would love to wax lyrical about Pascal, but you guys have done a pretty good job of it. I think just the, the one thing that I would add would be that I think part of the reason why uh, Pascal looked good yesterday and looked like he had time on the ball is because I think on the ball he's slightly better than than Calvin Phillips in terms of his control. So when the ball comes in, I think he his, he's often um, able to take a, a positive touch on the ball um, and and that allows him to make e- the, the passes that he's going to make slightly easier. Um the, I think that it's really important to think of that role as primarily a defensive role, and we talk a lot about how Bielsa calls it the third defender. And I think in that, in light of that fact, there's no one who's ever going to be better than Calvin Phillips in our squad at playing that role because he is the best mobile defender in 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 our squad. Um, Pascal is a lot of things, but he's not. I don't think a particularly well. I don't think he's not mobile, but I think the the mobility that you need to play that role is is very much being able to just change direction, um, move up at speed one way or the other, get between pressures quickly. Um, so I, I think that the the fact that that Strout maybe has a slightly better first touch than than Phillips, which I think a lot of people will consider sacrilege, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I just think that. Uh, he's slightly better on the ball as well. So he's a little bit more press resistant as well. And I think that just allows you to be able to make those more positive uh, passes a little bit more easily. But the other thing I would say is that Calvin Phillips plays that, that role as very much a sort of gung-ho, get into pressures, move from like tackle to tackle. Whereas if you watch this, particularly the second half yesterday, Calvin's um, Pascal's positioning is absolutely perfect in so many situations. And, and so what you see him doing is just intercepting the ball a lot. And so he doesn't have to jump into challenges because his his positioning is so good that he he is just in the right place for the for the play. Um, and so I, I think that in in part as well that makes it look like it was a less defensive performance. Um, but I think he's still doing a lot of that work as well. Um, and I'm, I, I may I may just go on Wise Scout in a minute and and just clip his his um, performance and and make a football Twitter video um, and put it out <laughs> somewhere. But um, it is it is well worth going back and watching. I know that we bang on about Pascal a lot but I genuinely do think it was one of his better performances um, for 
in in general yesterday, let alone the fact that he's sort of playing quote unquote out of position. But time is running on, and we've spent ages talking about Pascal. So let's just um, fire through this last question quickly. Uh, so this is from Chris Woodall, who says, "Do you think we should play the four one four one, which is possibly our best system, regardless of how the opposition are lining up? Is the changing shape constantly having a na- nightmare, a negative effect on our form?" We could do, but we'd have to make at least some adjustment to thinking about how how we're performing the man marking system I think um sometimes we've had games I'm thinking particularly of the second game against Crystal Palace last year the the home game where like Calvin would mark the, a second striker but I uh, so I guess it's possible that our defensive um our defensive midfielder could drop um onto one of the strikers and then move forward in possession but I would be wary of it only in the sense of then I, I would be worried about like an overload of uh, attacking players if if they're able to effectively shut down two centre-backs with two centre-forwards. We haven't got that man spare. So it's just about, like, I guess, positionally what that would mean. And that would probably depend on which striker that they're marking. I guess on the, the, the other, on a positive side, it could mean that we then have a bit more space in front or behind the first line of pressure if we had fewer players in that space and there were still that many opposition players there we'd have an extra man to then do stuff with if we could beat that first line of pressure but it might be harder yeah for me this is all structure like if you're going to do man-to-man then it's better for you to match the opposition structurally um, because otherwise you're going to have players losing their men and also having to run further to get into that position um so the solution to playing four one four one would also be to start playing a zonal system, which isn't going to happen, I, I think. <laughs> Tom, anything to add? Just to, like you say that the formations are a defensive thing for Leeds, so um, we're not going to see any to change with that way. There are probably, and I think what Chris is trying to get at is that there are probably some adjustments that we could make to the the three three one three to make it sort of slightly better and more like the four one four one, but. It's difficult to say exactly what that would be, apart from like one of the things maybe would be the the, the centre back pushing out and helping to be the the pivot, which you don't really get. But apart from that, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think that's for me what what I would do, especially if it's someone like Pascal who you can afford to then just push up in 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 possession systems. The problem I think with the Southampton game in that respect was we didn't really have possession for long enough to even make that move. And I I know that Bielsa did talk about moving Pascal forward, um, but I didn't. I, on the watch back, I just didn't see any evidence that that was sort of trying to happen. So, um, but I, I do think that's a good um, suggestion. Right, let's move to the Statric Bamford section. This is the section where we talk about um, an interesting aspect of the game from a stats point of view. As I've said, the FB ref data isn't up yet, so um, we're relying on Squawker Football. Tom, you found a tweet. Yeah, so they're just going to read out the tweet. Uh, so it was the same that Joe Geldhart had more touches in the opposition box than any other player in today's game so yesterday's game with 13 and no leads player had more than uh, had more shots so he had three shots more shots on target one and just this is despite him coming on as a sub in the 63rd minute um so i just wondered what you guys made of that because i think there's a there's probably a few conclusions you could maybe come to from that yeah i i did notice that joe donahue tweeted about this as well um and he showed that the touches that he got majority came from that dribble into the box and then the 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 chance that he has at the uh, at the left hand side on the on the post um so it, it did make it, it, it this again is a volume thing it's come from i think maybe i think it's all come from three actions which is obviously a good thing but you don't often see players pick the ball up dribble into the box and retain possession in the way that he did so 
Jacob, what did you make of this? I think it's good to have that caveat that you just raised there, John, but I think it's also encouraging that there is someone who's doing it. It, it When I saw this stat, the first thing almost that came into my head, even though it's not really the same thing, was Bamford's third goal against Aston Villa in the hat-trick last season. It's just nice to have someone who is working well on the ball in tighter spaces in, in that part of the pitch and I think apart from Rafinha and maybe just in certain circumstances Tyler Roberts I just think that that's something that we're lacking um, from our forward players and so yeah I'm, I'm just glad that we have an option of someone who's happy to do that kind of thing but compare it to the first half where we just weren't getting into the box really at all like a lot of our play was around the box rather than in it it's that encourages me the two conclusions I took were that it's nice to see Gauhart having an impact, but it's also like worrying that he was leading all those categories despite coming on the 63rd minute and is probably a, a bit of a negative about <laughs> some of our forward players yesterday. Right, let's move on. In the interest of time, we are, we are getting quite late. So let's just have a quick talk about the, the, the game next week. Obviously, we've got a game against Arsenal midweek in the Carabao Cup. Um, I'm not going to do an interview with anyone on this because I, I suspect it will be a little bit of a throwaway game uh, given the current squad situation. Um, so um, I don't think there's there's any point really getting too deep into that one. Hopefully it will just be a nice uh, game to just not worry about too much, just a, a bit of a free hit. So um, hopefully we'll we'll see a lot of youngsters played and uh, it will look um, it'll be quite a fun game to watch. But uh, as you all know, we've got Norwich the weekend um, and I've just noticed that they've switched to a 3-5-2 recently. So here we go. That means we will be playing a, a back three again. So we can have a an encomium about how bad it is that we when we have when we build up in a three. Um, but we'll see because this is obviously a, a 3-5-2 versus a 3-5-2, which is usually quite fun. Um, it will mean that we will have the uh, the conversation about which strikers we should play as well so I look forward to that as well so uh, I'll give you guys just a chance to um, sort of raise the questions that you think are going to be interesting going into this one and we'll do a fuller preview podcast on our Patreon channel this week so Tom what did you have? Yeah so my one of my questions was about the two up front um, would, would be like would it be a chance for Gohart to start? Uh, you'd imagine that it's Rodrigo staying staying there so it's probably one of Gohart or uh, Tyler Roberts or, or Tan James um, so I think that's just something to look out for. I haven't really got any sort of more points on that. But it was also with us sort of being the I'd say arguably I'll, I'll, should be a lot better team than Norwich, and will will we look to try and retain possession in a much better better way than we've seen in other games? And will they give us the chance to to do that? So yeah, those are the two things I'll be looking out for, and probably have a bit more of a dig into uh, this week. And Jacob, what was the, the questions that you had regarding this game? Like you say, I always have fun when we play 3-5-2. I think it's a really interesting interesting formation for Bielsa's leads. Um, my question, I guess, is around what that will actually practically look like for us on the pitch. And there's a good sort of comparison between the two games against Sheffield United last season, who obviously played 3-5-2. In the in the first game we played the one the one nil win, we properly played a three five two in possession out of possession. Dallas was in midfield. Um, the two wingers Harrison and Costa were basically commanding the whole wing. And then in the other game, the two one win that we had, it felt much more like we were trying to do something in possession that was more similar to how we normally play. And it felt like Ailing and Alioski were attacking as fullbacks, but then when it came to defending, Ailing was doing a job as one of the back three, 
and it was Alioski and Rafinha who were oppressing the two wing backs. So my question is, what structure are we going to see? Um, are we going to have one set of players sort of out wide or, or two? And it would be interesting to, to see where we then exploit and where we prioritise having more players. I've just noticed on the running order that you've written, someone asked Bielsa in the press conference afterwards while we were playing a back four against two strikers and Bielsa's answer was that we weren't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's cracking. Anyway, these these sorts of questions, uh, we don't have the time to really dig into at this point, but we do fortunately have a, a full hour that we will dedicate to this um, in the week on our Patreon channel. We will be speaking to the guys from CanaryCast asking for their lowdown on what must be a truly miserable season for them. No <laughs> doubt. Um, so that might, it might be worth signing up just for the price of admission alone for that. Um, but we will then have a good 40 minutes conversation between the, the, the guys on the podcast then about how we approach the Norwich game, what to look forward to, how the game should ebb and flow. Um, so if that sounds interesting, do head over to our Patreon channel, which is www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And we do have video content over there and bonus podcasts as well. Um, I think we're going to have um, a, a maybe a bonus podcast this week. So lots to look forward to over there. But this does bring us to the end of a fairly long podcast for which i apologize but all there is for me to do is to say thank you to jacob thanks very much and thank you to tom thank you very much and we'll see you all very shortly Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.